Good morning, people of God. This is Apostle Shirley Evans speaking to you with a word and uh, prophetic songs from the Holy Spirit this morning. Today being September the 15th, 2020, the time is 8.33 a.m. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continue to be in my mouth. And Father God, we just thank you for this day. And God, I pray that the listeners, whoever this is going to, it'll find them with a peace in their heart and it will find them well. Continue to protect them, Father, in the name of Jesus. Continue to show them that you love them, but I pray that they will receive your love. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to let them know that you are a provider and that you will provide for them. You've given that them that assurance in your word and you're not a man that you should lie. So we bless you today in the name of Jesus. And today we're going to go into 1 Timothy. We're going to speak about Paul's doctrine and Paul's personal expression of thanksgiving to God. But the song that I have for you this morning, we need the master to speak to us. And when he speaks to us, we need to hear what he's saying to us, listen attentively. So this morning, the, word, the song that he's given me is, Master, speak, thy servant hear it, waiting for thy gracious word, longing for thy voice that cheereth. Master, let it now be heard. I am listening, Lord, for thee. What hast thou to say to me? Master, Speak, thy servant hear it, waiting for thy gracious word, longing for thy voice that cheereth. Master, let it now be heard. I am listening. Lord, for thee, what hast thou to say to me? Speak to me by name, O Master, let me know it is to me. Speak that I may follow faster with a step more firm and free. Where the shepherd leads the flock in the shadow of the rock. Master, 
Speak thou least and lowest, let me not unheard depart. Master, speak for thou knowest all the yearning of my heart. Knowest all its truest need, speak and make me blessed indeed. Master, speak and make me ready when thy voice is true heard with obedience glad and steady still to follow every word i am listening lord for thee master speak oh speak to me. I'll sing those two last verses again. Master, speak, though least and lowest, let me not unheard depart. Master, speak, for all thou knowest, all the yearning of my heart knowest all its truest need speak and make me blessed indeed master speak and make me ready when thy voice is truly heard with obedience glad and steady still to follow every word i am listening lord for thee Master, speak, oh, speak to me. Now, I really don't understand why a lot of people think that this song is for when you're dying. No, this song is while you're alive to listen to his voice and to obey what he's speaking to you to do to make you ready when his voice is truly heard with obedience, glad and steady, still to follow every word. I am listening, Lord, for thee. Master, speak, oh, speak to me. And so we just bless the Lord for whomever he anointed and gave those words and the tone that is anointed and we thank God for the song 
And today we're going to speak about Timothy. We're going to speak in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to verses 20. We're talking about the false doctrine, and there are many, many false doctrines. And we're talking about Paul's personal expression of thanksgiving to God. And so therefore, let us speak about sound doctrine. Paul instructed Timothy to preserve the Christian faith by teaching sound doctrine and modeling right living. Timothy had to oppose false teachers who were leading church members away from belief in salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now let me read the scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 1 to 20. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in fate so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. I want to read that again. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and for profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers. I need to read that again because there's a whole lot of lawless, disobedient people in this world. That's what the law is for. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Paul is now expressing his personal expression of thanksgiving to God. 
And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who had enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundantly with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, O son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. That's the word of the Lord. And so as I was speaking here that he's talking about sound doctrine. And there's a lot of doctrine that is really not sound doctrine. And, and, and he was encouraging and giving Timothy instruction. Timothy was one of Paul's closest companions. Paul had sent Timothy to the church at Ephesus to counter the false teaching that had arisen there. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. And as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. Timothy probably served for a time as a leader in the church at Ephesus. Paul hoped to visit Timothy. But in the meantime, he wrote this letter to give Timothy practical advice about the ministry. And I say to you this morning, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. That's what Paul was saying to Timothy. And that's our uh, chapter 4, verse 12. Paul told him, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And I want to put a plug here. 
you could be an older person because but people think that oh he or she just come in the gospel she or he don't know nothing don't let no one anyone look down on you because you're young in the gospel because they don't know how long god had you in that room being developed filling you to send you out to use you and so we bless the lord for paul's son timothy the sound doctrine he's speaking about paul instructed timothy to preserve the christian faith by teaching sound doctrine and modeling right living Timothy had to oppose the false teachers who were leading church members away from belief in salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. We must know the truth in order to defend it. We must cling to the belief that Christ came to save us. We should stay away from those who twist the words of the Bible by their own purposes. And that's why we need to know the word, then we will know when they're twisting it. Prayer in public worship must be done with a proper attitude toward God and fellow believers. Prayer and public worship must be done with a proper attitude toward God and fellow believers. It shouldn't be a show. It should be an adoration to God and his people. Christian character must be evident in every aspect of worship. We must rid ourselves of any anger, resentment, or offensive behavior that might disrupt worship or damage church unity. Give, give me an example. You dress right. You all dressed up. You come to church. You come in your car arguing. Big argument. Sometimes almost fighting. But when you reach the door, you take off that mask and you come inside. But even though you take off that mask, your spirit is corrupt. So the spirit is going to cause a problem in the worship. Because we, we, we come in there with anger. We come in there resenting uh, um, people around us. We come in there with offensive behavior. That spirit will disrupt the worship and it certainly will damage the unity in the church. Paul gives specific instructions concerning the qualifications for church leaders so that the church might honor God and operate smoothly. Church leaders must be wholly committed to Christ. If you are a new or young Christian, don't be anxious to become a leader in the church. Seek to develop your Christian character first. Be sure to seek God, not your own ambition. How many people work and they, they retire? And then they decide, you know, I'm going to be a pastor. Or I'm going to be a prophet. Or I'm going to be a deacon. And, and yet, a lot of them are not qualified. No, 
You have to be wholly committed to Christ. Truly. And you have to develop your Christian character first. Not your own ambition. And you must be disciplined. It takes discipline to be a leader in the church. Timothy, like all pastors, had to guard his motives. He had to minister faithfully and live above a reproach. Any pastor must keep morally and spiritually fit. To stay in good spiritual shape, you must discipline yourself to study God's word and to obey it. Put your spiritual abilities to work. And then you must care for the church. The church has a responsibility to care for the needs of all its members. Especially the sick, the poor, and the widowed. Caring must go beyond good intentions. Good intentions as well. I think I'm going to visit um, Sister Susie tomorrow, but oh, no, I have to, I have to fix my truck. Well, I think I'll go on Wednesday. Oh, but I, I promised someone that I will go fishing. By the time you come back, Sister Susie, or whatever her name is, she's dead. Your good intentions? but you did, you were not responsible. Caring for the family of believers demonstrates our Christ-like attitude and exhibits genuine love to non-believers. Let me say this. Now, I'm not judging, but I'm saying it by the Spirit of God. There are doctors on call 24 hours a day. And if a patient is sick and they get a call, they get out their bed and they go, most 90% of those doctors, because they are committed. And they get up and go, or they will get on the phone and they will minister however to the patient. And if needs be, they will get up of their bed and go because they believe in saving lives. But how many pastors are open and willing to, see, to receive a member's call in the middle of the night or to get up out their bed and go to that member? I am sure not 90%. Oh, I'm talking what I know. Because many times, years ago, when I would get called from someone who was very sick, but then when the phone rang, I turned over, I don't want to answer that phone. And I had to be rebuked by the Holy Spirit and say, they are my people. And after being rebuked, by the Holy Spirit, I repented, and from then on, they would call me any hour of the night, and I turn over, I pick up my phone, and I minister to them 
and whatever happening through the night, I'm still on the phone with them, praying with them until they get their breakthrough. That's what you call caring for the family of believers. It demonstrates our Christian attitude and exhibits genuine love to non-believers. I remember the first time I got rebuked by the Holy Spirit was someone called me at two o'clock in the morning. And I could hear that their breathing wasn't right. And they called me. And I opened my mouth and I said, why did you call here? You have a pastor. Why are you not calling there? You need to call him. I said, I'm not your pastor. And so that was insensitive. That was selfish. And then I said, goodbye. Oh, I didn't sleep that night. And that day there I was troubled until God dealt with me and said, all the people belong to me, to me, to belong to God. And I've called you to feed my sheep. And so from then, when they call, they sheep, and he will give me the word to minister to them, a word of comfort, or the Holy Spirit in me would minister healing to them. And he's placed in me an insatiable love for his people not a selfish love and so pastors you have to be a caring pastor so first timothy chapter one paul was an apostle he was a sent one god called him not man and so this letter in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, this letter was written to Timothy after Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. He was in prison in Rome. Apparently Paul had been out of prison for several years and during that time he had revisited many churches in Asia and Macedonia. When he and Timothy returned to Ephesus, they found widespread false teaching in the church. Paul had warned the Ephesian elders to be on guard against the false teachers who inevitably would come after he had left. Acts chapter 20, verse 17 to 31. Acts chapter 20 verse 17 to 31 i don't think i'll read the whole of it and from miletus he sent to ephesus and called the elders of the church and when they were come to him he said unto them Ye know from the first day that I came unto Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, 
and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I've showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Save the Holy Ghost witness it in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of the grace and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I've coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I've showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And here it is, Paul sent Timothy to lead the Ephesian church while he moved on to Macedonia. From there, Paul wrote this letter of encouragement and instruction to help Timothy deal with the difficult situation in the Ephesian church. Later, Paul was arrested again and brought back to a Roman prison. Paul calls himself an apostle. As I said, meaning apostle means one who is sent. And Paul was sent by Jesus Christ to bring the message of salvation to the Gentiles. How was Paul an apostle? He was an apostle by the command of God, not man. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. He was called an apostle by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit, through the prophet, said, 
set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul. Paul, whose name is changed to, to, to Saul, whose name is changed to Paul, for the work to which I have called them. Verse 3 in 1 Timothy says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. Paul first visited Ephesus on his second missionary journey. Later on, his third missionary journey, he stayed there for almost three years. Ephesus, along with Rome, Corinth, Antioch, and Alexandria, was one of the major cities in the Roman Empire. It was a center for the commerce, politics, and religions of Asia Minor and the location of the temple dedicated to the goddess Diana. The church of Ephesus may have been plagued by the same heresy that was threatening the church at Colossae. The teaching that to be acceptable to God, a person had to discover certain hidden knowledge and had to worship angels. They're still worshiping angels today. Thinking that it would aid in their salvation. Some Ephesians constructed mythical stories based on Old Testament history or genealogies. The false teachers were motivated by their own interests rather than Christ. They embroiled the church in endless and irrelevant questions and controversies, taking precious time away from the study of the truth. It's still going on in the world today. Today, we could also enter into worldless and irrelevant discussions, but such disputes quickly crowd out the life-changing message of Christ. We are to stay away from religious speculation and pointless the theological arguments. Such exercises may seem harmless at first, but they have a way of sidetracking us from the central message of the gospel, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And they expend time we should use to share the gospel with others. They take away that time when we should be sharing the gospel to others. We should avoid anything that keeps us from doing God's work. Anything. There are many leaders and authorities today who demand allegiance. There's some people, you don't hear them talking about Jesus, all they talk about their pastor. Because the leaders demand allegiance, some of whom would even have us turn from Christ to follow them. And some of them call themselves Christ. 
when they seem to know the Bible, their influence can be dangerously subtle. How can you recognize false teaching? Number one, it promotes controversies instead of helping people come to Jesus. You have to lead them to Jesus. It is often initiated by those whose motivation is to make a name for themselves. It will be contrary to the true teaching of the scriptures. That's how you know the false teachers. To protect yourself from the deception of false teachers, you should learn what the Bible teaches and remain steadfast in your faith in Christ alone. The Bible never ta taught us about having the rosary reading those beads. The Bible never taught us there is not a hell. So there's all sorts of false doctrines. The Bible never tell us that we must worship idols. No, false. The false teachers were motivated by a spirit of curiosity. The goal in, 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 in 1 Timothy chapter 5, the goal of this command is love which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The false teachers were motivated by a spirit of curiosity and a desire to gain power and prestige. By contrast, genuine, genuine Christian teachers are motivated by sincere faith and a desire to do what is right. It may be exciting to express people with our great knowledge, but high status based on falsehood is ultimately empty. Some, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. Arguing about details of the Bible can send us off on interesting but irrelevant tangents and cause us to miss the intent of God's message. The false teachers at Ephesus constructed vast speculative systems and then argued about the mirror, argued about the minor details of their holy imagery ideas. We should allow nothing to distract us from the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. The main point of scripture, we should know what the Bible says, apply it to our lives daily and teach it to others. When we do this, we will be able to evaluate all teachings in light of the central truth about Jesus. Don't focus on the minute details of the Bible to the exclusion of the main point God is teaching you. And verse 7, 
it says, they want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Paul was writing against those who were engaging in philosophical speculation based on the five books, the first five books of the Old Testament written by Moses. The false teachers wanted to become famous as teachers of God's law. We still have them today. But they didn't even understand the law's purpose. The law was not meant to give believers a list of commands for every occasion, but to show unbelievers their sin and bring them to God. We know, First Timothy chapter, chapter 1 verse 8, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and ir irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. That confirms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which he entrusted in me, Paul says. Perverts, perverts. The false teachers wanted to become famous as teachers of God's law, but they didn't even understand the law's purpose. Perverts may refer to homosexuals. They are those who attempt to legitimize homosexuality as an acceptable alternative lifestyle. Even some Christians say people have a right to choose their sexual preference. But the Bible specifically calls homosexual behavior sin. We must be careful, however, to condemn only the practice and not the people. Those who commit homosexual acts are not to be feared, ridiculed, or hated. They can be forgiven and their lives can be transformed. I've had them come here weeping on my shoulder because they don't want to live like that. So if you don't have the love of God inside of you and hear what the Holy Spirit saying, you will throw them in the garbage. No, thank God he didn't throw us in the garbage. He looked beyond our fault and saw our need. They can be forgiven and their lives can be transformed. The church should be a haven of forgiveness and healing for repentant homosexuals without compromising its stance against homosexual behavior. You don't have to compromise. We tell them the truth. People can feel so guilt-ridden by their past that they think God can never forgive and accept them. But consider Paul's past. He had scoffed at the teachings of the Jew of Jesus. He was a blasphemer. 
and he hunted down and murdered God's people. He was a persecutor and a violent man before coming to faith in Christ. God forgave Paul and used Paul mightily for his kingdom. No matter how shameful your past, God also can forgive and use you. Verse 14, we spoke about that, how the grace of our Lord was poured out on Paul abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ. We may feel that our faith in God and our love for Christ and for others is inadequate, but we can be confident that Christ will help our faith and love grow as our relationship with him deepens. Here, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Paul said, of whom I am the worst. Verse 16 says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. How many people you know have been in prison for wicked crimes? And God spoke to them in prison, transformed them in prison, brought them out of prison, and now is using them today to spread the gospel. Here Paul summarizes the good news. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and no sinners beyond his saving power. None. For Jesus' purposes for being on earth. In Luke chapter 5 verse 32. The word declares. Luke 5 and 32 it says. I came not to call the righteous. But sinners to repentance. That was his purpose of being on earth. Jesus didn't come merely to show us how to live a better life or to challenge us to be better people. He came to offer salvation that leads to eternal life. Have you accepted this offer? Have you accepted his offer? Paul calls himself the worst of sinners. We think of Paul as a great hero of the faith. But Paul never saw himself that way because he remembered his life before he met Christ. The more Paul understood God's grace, the more he was aware of his own sinfulness. Humility and gratitude should mark the life of every Christian. We should never forget that we too were sinners Saved by grace. Verse 17 says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This verse is a typical doxology given by Paul as a natural 
emotional response to these reflections about the mercy of God. Paul was so moved by God's love that he was able to praise God spontaneously. Remember yesterday, and when I sent him with a message, all of a sudden I hear the Holy Spirit uh, begin to sing in me, I really love the Lord. You don't know what he has done for me. So Paul could sing spontaneously and praise spontaneously because look what God has done for Paul. And so I am always singing because I look back and see what God has done for me. Paul says, Timothy, my son, in verse 18, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them, you may fight the good fight. Verse 19, be holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Verse 20, among them are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Paul highly valued the gift of prophecy. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 1. First Corinthians 14 verse 1, he valued the gift of prophecy. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. True prophecy, important messages of warning and encouragement came to the church. Just as pastors are ordained and set apart for ministry in church today, Timothy had been set apart for ministry when elders laid their hands on him. Now, let me say this. If we are in Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in us, we have to know the character of the person, the lifestyle of the person who's going to lay hands on you. Because if their lifestyle and their character and you know that immoral life they live, unclean life they live, how could you allow them to lay hands on you? then they would be imparting an unclean spirit on you. That's why there's a lot of people who they're preaching, they're prophesying, but they've taken on another spirit, not the spirit of God. So be careful who lay hands on you. I'll repeat that. You better know that you know that you know that you know who laying hands on you because you will take on that spirit. I've seen it over and over again. The elders laid their hands on him. Verse 
Apparently, at this ceremony, several believers had prophesied about Timothy's gifts and strengths. These words from the Lord must have encouraged Timothy throughout his ministry. I've gone in the highways and byways and I've come across alcoholics and I've come across them looking at me and prophesying to me. Well, the gifts of without repentance and, and, and they're alcoholics, they're homongers, they're fornicators. Would I let them lay hands on me? Oh, no, no. You better know who's laying hands on you. These words from the Lord must have encouraged Timothy throughout his ministry. How can you hold on to a good conscience? Treasure your faith in Christ more than anything else and do what you know is right. Each time you deliberately ignore your conscience, you are hardening your heart. Some people's heart has been so hardened until they've been given over to their reprobate mind. Over a period of time, your capacity to tell right from wrong will diminish if you continue to harden your heart. As you walk with God, he will speak to you. Master, speak to me. He will speak to you through your conscience, letting you know the difference between right and wrong. You know you can hear. Uh, and then you tell yourself, oh, my mind, tell me don't do this, which is wrong. But another mind tell you you should do this, which is right. That's the Holy Ghost talking to you. And you have a choice. He will speak to you through your conscience, letting you know the difference between right and wrong. Be sure to act on those inner tugs so that you do what is right. Then your conscience will remain clear. Verse 20 in 1 Timothy says, Among them are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. We don't know who Alexander was. Well, I have a grandson whose name is Alexander. I only know him by looking at him face to face on the phone. I've never personally met him physically face to face. We don't know who Alexander was. He may have been an associate of Hymenius. Hymenius' error is explained in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 17 and 18 and i'll find that right now second timothy second timothy chapter 2 verse 17 and 18 says and their word will eat as canker and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred 
saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the fate of some. He weakened people's fate by teaching that the resurrection had already occurred. Paul says that he handed Hymenius over to Satan, meaning that Paul had removed him from the fellowship of the church. Why is it that there are people in the church who holding positions and you know they're not walking with God, but you still have them holding those positions? That's not right. I'm not saying put them out of church, but what I'm saying, remove them from their position, minister to them, counsel them until they get back in right standing and repent from their error. What he did was he weakened people's faith by teaching that the resurrection had already occurred. Paul says that he handed Herminius over to Satan, meaning that Paul had removed him from the fellowship of the church. Paul did this so that Herminius would see his error and repent. The ultimate purpose of this punishment was correction. The church today is too often lax in discipling Christians who deliberately sin. They don't want to touch it. They would say, oh, God can deal with that. No, you are the shepherd of the flock here. You deal with it. Whether they like it or not, you give them the truth. The truth will make them free. You have to discipline them. Deliberate disobedience should be responded to quickly and sternly to prevent the entire congregation from being affected. You leave a rotten apple in that bag with the good apple, they're all going to turn rotten. So you have to remove that rotten apple. So, but discipline must be done in a way that tries to bring the offender back to Christ and into the loving embrace of the church. The definition of discipline includes these words, strengthening, purifying, training, correcting, perfecting. Condemnation, suspicion, withholding of forgiveness, or permanent exile should not be a part of church discipline. Let me say that again. It shouldn't be condemned. Condemnation, suspicion, withholding of forgiveness, or permanent exile should not be a part of church discipline. So, Father, you have spoken to us today. You have spoken to us. You've spoken to us. You've explained to us about warnings against false teachers of the law. 
you've spoken to us about the Lord's grace to Paul. And help us, Father, not to fall into that trap of error. Guard our heart. Give us an insatiable thirst of your word so we can recognize the false doctrines and ministers. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. So Master, we ask you to continue to speak to us. Master, speak thy servant hear it, waiting for thy gracious word, longing for thy voice that cheer it, Master, let it now be heard. I am listening, Lord, for thee. What hast thou to say to me? Speak to me by name, O Master. Let me know it is to me. Speak that I may follow faster with a step more firm and free. Where the shepherd leads the flock in the shadow of the rock. Master, speak though least and lowest, let me not unheard depart. Master, speak for all thou knowest, all the yearning of my heart. Knowest all its truest need, speak and make me blessed indeed. Master, speak and make me ready when thy voice is truly heard. With obedience glad and steady, still to follow every word. I am listening, Lord, for Master, speak, oh, speak to me. I am listening, Lord, for thee. Master, speak, oh, speak to me. And Father God, we thank you for your word today. Help us to continue to guard our hearts, 
and listen to your still small voice speaking to us and calling us by name and when you do that help us to follow after and follow your instructions in the name of Jesus and father your people today they are hungering for you I know that they want more of you more of your word more of the truth father we thank you for giving it us to us and God I pray that the grace your grace and your mercy will continue to overshadow them and the peace of God that passes all understanding will continue to guard our hearts and mind this day in the name of Jesus I love you this is Apostle Shirley Evans God bless you and we did not ring the bell and so here it is I love you have a blessed day